Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me once again. If you haven't checked out the Lap Stacker, please do go to adaptify.com slash lapstacker. If you're a wheelchair user and you're listening to this, this could be a game changer for you, bringing freedom uh, and removing frustration from your life. Check it out, uh, adaptify.com slash lapstacker. So today's guest is Cambry Nelson. Cambry, formerly Cambry Kayla and aka Cambry K on Instagram. Gee, that was a bit of a mouthful. Cambry is a, a former equestrian vaulter. Now, that is in itself uh, phenomenal. Uh, someone to, who can ride a horse and essentially do gymnastics and, and ballet on top of the horse. Uh, I mean, the balance and the skill that's needed for that is incredible. Uh, this was Cambry's life and uh, her passion, her identity, and uh, that all changed uh, when she had a terrible accident and uh, ended up breaking her back. Uh, we've heard this story before. Um, today, I'm going to talk to Cambry about getting back on the horse, finishing her occupational therapy degree, and um, developing a product to help people um, with freedom in the outdoors. Uh, sound familiar? I'm really super excited to talk to her about that journey, but also her knowledge and experience that she's uh, gathered through uh, many years now uh, as a paraplegic. Cambry, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. So Cambry, where are you right now? Where, where are you calling in from? Um, Salt Lake City, Utah, United States. Okay, all right. Nice. I drove through Salt Lake a number of years ago in a huge snowstorm, and I remember these huge big rigs going straight past us and then the snow would cover our windshield and you'd be momentarily blinded. It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like our winters. Yeah, but um, yep. got a beautiful part of the world. Um, absolutely. I think so. Hey, so um, thanks for joining me on the podcast. This is, um, this is really fantastic. Um, and we were just talking a little bit um, beforehand. We've got some great things to chat about. Um, so I'm really excited um, might as well just start with, um, with, with you and your childhood. What was your childhood like? How, um, what sort of things were you into? All right. So as a child, I was into ballet and gymnastics. And then I also had a passion for horses. So I found this really unique uh, combination of all three. It's called equestrian vaulting. And it's gymnastics and dance that's choreographed on the back of a moving horse. So... From the age of eight to 18, I was very involved in that sport. That was my identity. It's what got me through a lot of my childhood. And then I, I moved a bunch while I was in high school. And that's the sport that kept me strong and, and going. And it was my passion. I would. Uh, I'd like to learn a bit more about the the mindset you developed during those uh, the, that time of your life, um, but also like just as a as a comment that <laughs> gymnastics and and dance are hard enough as it is, but then you throw <laughs> that on doing that on a horse. I mean, seriously, <laughs> that is yeah really really impressive. Uh, I've got to say that that's um, that's that's quite phenomenal. It was a blast. It was, yeah, the best of all the worlds. I couldn't decide between ballet and gymnastics. And I even dabbled a little bit with cheerleading and 
when you have a horse there, it's, it's so much better. It's just beautiful. And I, and, you know, I think I started developing my mindset, like you asked in those years of becoming an athlete and an adrenaline junkie and, um, realizing that if you put enough work into it and it's continuous work, you can do incredible things and things that people think are even nearly impossible. Um, and I, I think that shaped a lot of what I needed going into my accident. So, uh, interesting you brought that up cause I didn't even think about that before. Okay. So gymnastics and I did gymnastics, so I, I can I know what I know what's involved, and I know that the, what's involved in terms of the training, but also know what's involved physically and mentally. It's a right. it is it's quite it can be quite dangerous. Um, you know, if I think about the high bars and the vault, and I mean even some of the floor tumbles you're doing, you know, backflips and round offs and flick flacks and all those sort of things. Um, when were you first aware of fear? And how did you, um, how did you harness that fear and uh, learn to control that fear, um, Cambry? You know, I, I don't know if I had a lot of fear. Uh, I, I worked at skills and I did like necessary building blocks. So I just did like one step at a time of learning a, a beginner skill and practicing it first on the floor with spot and all the safety around it. And then an elevated surface, uh, a barrel that's like a horse. Mm. So I'd learn the skills there. And then I would take it to the horse at a slow movement. And then it was with a uh, canter beneath it. And so Mm. I, I think it was just a continuation of skills. And I got to a place where, I felt so comfortable on the back of the horse that it's, um, it was a, pro- it was a progression, right? Fear. It was a progression. Yeah. So progression. You, and that's really interesting. I mean, when people say, Oh, I could never do that. That looks so frightening or man, that's, that's crazy. I think you've, you've said it very well. It, it is just a progression and perhaps, uh, perhaps that's why you didn't feel the fear. But if you had just gone from a beginner level to jumping on the back of a horse and doing a backflip, I mean, you, right. you just couldn't, right? You you couldn't cope with that um, that fear. So um, it, it's a, that's actually a really really interesting point that you made around um, progression. And obviously, you had good coaches and that knew about that progression and didn't push you too far i mean there's, there's a exactly. point where you have to take the plunge so to speak and do the move you know and and there'll be a surge of fear there, right. but it wasn't it wasn't um it didn't overwhelm you right right and i and i had a series of you know failures with learning the skills too but i always knew how to fall and get back up you know i always had a a, a backup plan of some sort or like i know how to safely fall out of this i know how to do this i know how to do that so I built up a comfort around it as well of I may, maybe I have a little bit of fear here, but it can set here for a bit with me and I can still do the skill and all of a sudden it's eliminated. And then the next time you do that skill, there's not even an inkling of fear. Did you have any close calls accidents wise? Uh, interesting enough. Yes. Previous to my injury, I 
So when you do individuals, you're the only one on the team, on the, on the horse, sorry. If you do, uh, it's called pas de deux or team, you have two to three people on the horse. And I was flying on top of someone else. So it's kind of like cheerleading or Cirque du Soleil on top of the horse. And I was on top of them. And something happened, um, instability of some sort. I don't know if it came from the horse or the base or, or whatnot, but I came crashing down. And uh, with centrifugal force, it's pretty hard to fall beneath the horse. But somehow I did. I came around and fell underneath the horse. And um, luckily, just my hand was um, injured. Like I had a hoof print of the horse on my hand. And I thought for sure it was broken. I drove, I was 16 or 17. I drove to the ER and I was like, oh, this bloody mess. I have a hoof print. I'm sure it's broken. I'm not going to be able to compete. And they looked at, at it and I'm like, no, it's fine. It's just like a superficial wound. It looks really gross. So let it heal for like a week or two. And then I was back at it again and I was walking a horse and this wasn't even doing the crazy stuff. I was walking the horse, horse got spooked, trampled me and stepped on my leg. And I thought, oh, I did it again. I'm not gonna be able to compete and got checked out and it was totally fine. And then the following month I was vaulting and, and working with my teammates and went to do an aerial that I had done for for eight years and no problems in the past, no, no close calls. Um, and I, I hit my teammate and tried to make up for the lost time and miscalculated my rotation in the air. And that's when I landed on my back and my legs flew over. And essentially I, I piked right above my belly button and there's no joint there. So it broke my back cleanly in half. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I, like, I had so many opportunities to get hurt to like avoid this one situation. So for me, I I really feel like it was supposed to happen. I was supposed to have this event. I was supposed to have this accident, and I was meant to learn and grow from it. And and it's been a wild ride uh, learning since then. But it was so much fun leading up to it. So no regrets. <laughs> Super fun. Wow. Uh, my my initial thought when you said that you got trampled by the horse and then your hand, I thought you must be made of rubber. And I suppose when you're, um, <laughs> you know, and you would have been incredibly flexible. So um, just the thought of your legs whiplashing over your, you know, piking like that, I'm thinking, holy, it must have been, you know, some force to, to do that because you would have had a natural flexibility in your spine anyway. Um, so you must have really pushed, pushed, <laughs> pushed hard to do that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, crazy. Yeah, it was. What were your What were your dreams and aspirations before this accident? What did you Where did you want to take your um, career? So I wanted, from a young age, I wanted to go to an international stage. I wanted to represent the United States. I wanted to be with a team because I, I just, I wanted, I wanted it to be a group effort. I didn't want it just to be me, um, and I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to represent the United States and go to a world um, competition of some sort with my my vaulting group. And when I was laying there, I remember even thinking in my brain, like, "Oh, I I can't feel my legs," but I was a little naive and didn't realize what that meant. So I thought, "Okay, I'm in a lot of pain. I I probably hurt my back. Like that's in a lot of pain, and I will need to do physical therapy maybe for a season, and then." I'm going to need to work really like double hard the following season so I can get back to where I was. So I even like 
even after I broke my back and my spinal cord was severed, I just had this goal of mine of like, okay, three years down the road, I'll be where I was yesterday and it'll be fine. Um, so I wasn't willing to let go <laughs> of that dream, even with a big obstacle. Uh, it wasn't until the doctor said that you broke your back and you'll never walk again. Did I have to reevaluate what my goals were? Mm. Isn't it interesting that you have such optimism in times like that where you, you just, you, you, you really are just trying to find the positive in, in the situation. There, there obviously came a time when the realization of your situation um, tested that positivity. Um, and also we talked a little bit before this about self-identity. Obviously you identified yourself as this athlete. How did you transition from, um, you know, through that time with your self-identity as well? Shoot. It was, um, it was a challenge. Certainly. Um, we talked a little bit briefly earlier, uh, that my faith played a big role in the initial, uh, recovery, so to speak, or the, the first couple of weeks following first months. Um, I had faith of knowing that there is a higher power and there is a plan for me and I still have worth. And I had such a community and supportive network that believed in me regardless of what my current state was. Not, they didn't believe that I would necessarily walk again, but they just knew that I could take this situation and make the best of it. And so having that network was crucial in that first couple of weeks. And then on top of that, uh, I, I had so many blessings lined up. Um, one of which was my rehabilitative doctor. Um, she was in a wheelchair as well. She broke her neck and then regained some function in her upper extremities. It was a like a crushed vertebrae in her neck and was able to regain function in her arms. And so she was like reclassified as a para. Um, and she was a beautiful woman. It was successful as a doctor. She showed me her Mercedes outside and how she transferred in and out. And I just thought, okay, like I've got a beautiful example in front of me of a woman that is making the best of life. And she became a doctor and you know, it's doing all the things that she wanted to do prior to her accident. So if she can do it, I can do it. And, and the weeks after that, I had to change my identity to, okay, you are an athlete, but you're an athlete and a rehabilitative, real big, well, re, I can't even say that word right now, rehab center. And you're going to work really hard at lifting weights. You're going to work really hard at, at regaining whatever core strength you can. You're going to learn your balance all over again you're going to learn how to get dressed. You're going to, you know, so I had, I had some of an athlete mind to try and get me through the rehab. Uh, I think it was like seven or eight weeks that I was there. And then it wasn't really until I went back to real life that mindset had to go to a deeper level. I had to really dig deep and find worth and constantly work on my self-worth as a college student in, mm -hmm. in real life with other people that weren't in wheelchairs. So, mm. oh, it's it, it, I, and, and we talked a little earlier that it's like each stage of my life, I have to work on that mindset again and, mm -hmm. and remember my worth and, and positivity and worth is an interesting thing, isn't it? Life. It's, um, 
Yeah, and, you know, when you're in a rehab centre, uh, I can relate. I had fantastic support network. But even, even that, there was, there was the self-talk that was happening. There, was, there yeah. was the fear of the new reality. So what were some of those things that – what were some of the things you were thinking about? What were some of those things that were going through your mind at that time? What were, what were some of your biggest fears that you had? Uh, well, the first question I had um, after the doctor said you broke your back, you severed your spinal cord, you're never going to walk again. My initial fear was, will I ever be a mother? Oh, <laughs> um, I was so scared because I knew from a young age that I family is so important and I wanted my own family. And, you know, with this accident uh, taking away my legs, would it take away motherhood? And, you know, luckily he was a very sharp doctor and was right on it and said, Yep, your body's still capable of having children. That is something that you can pursue in the future if that's what you wish to do in the future. And so that was a really um, a powerful moment in time to just say, okay, it's possible. Like we don't need any more thought on that. And then the next was, okay, well, my appearance, because I do want to be able to date and have a future with someone to create a family. So am I like am I going to have to wear a diaper? Like, what am I going to have to do? Because I can't feel my lower extremities and I don't know how that all works. And he said, no, you don't have to wear a diaper. Like your, your, your bowel and bladder functions can operate. Like you don't need to worry about that. It's going to be a little bit different, but you'll learn and no, you don't need to go through that. Okay. So those were kind of my childish fears of, of losing what I wanted so deeply and desperately I would have a family and then my appearance like what was I going to look like so those were kind of my bigger fears and then the last was will I ever be able to ride horses and he didn't I don't remember him even responding I think he just was like maybe answered with a question or avoided it's it like, altogether I don't think he knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like you just got paralyzed from a horse like why would you want to get back on so um he didn't answer but I I had a coach that she visited me and she's like, we'll figure it out, Cambry. Don't worry. I don't know, know exactly what you're going to need, but we'll figure it out. If you want to get on a horse again, we'll make it happen. And I think that was a huge blessing is I was surrounded by a bunch of people that were willing to look outside the box <clears throat> and adapt. And they weren't afraid of a challenge. They just saw it as a way to, to open up doors and, you know, they just wanted to, make it happen, mm. whatever it took. How did, so, how did you drum up the courage to, to ask your doctor about those fears you had? Was it, was it hard to ask them about that? Or what, was it pretty easy just to ask those questions straight up? Uh, well, I know that I had been asking, it felt like hours from when the ambulance picked me up to when I got through like x-rays and all of that it felt like such a long period of time. And I just kept saying over and over again, like what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me. And no one was answering. And so it was like, I had an hour of thinking, well, what's wrong with me going to, you know, extremes of I'm going to be like this forever, or it's only going to be a summer of PT or whatever. And so I had this hour of thoughts and, fears rolling around in my brain I think just as soon as I saw him I was like 
bam, 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 bam. I need to know these things. That's the only way I can like progress. So, um, Sin and Sue was there. I don't know if I, I had to strum up courage as much as I was like restless. Like I just need to know the answers. Um, so, and I think also I, I had family there that they didn't know how to take it. Like, uh, my parents were in the state. I got hurt um, when I was in California and they were in Utah. And so all they had was a phone call saying, your daughter's been hurt. Get on a plane now. And my grandfather lived 20 minutes away from the facility that I was at at the hospital and he drove in. So he was the first family member that I saw. And I, I've always viewed my grandfather as just a very strong, successful, um, almost like almost hard, like kind, but just very strong individual. And when he came into the room, he was sobbing. And so I knew it, it was going to be really hard on my family. And I knew they had a lot of questions. And I think I just, because I saw one of my rocks crumble, so to speak, in front of me, I knew I had to be strong. I had to be brave. And I had to ask the questions. Like I had, I had to take control. I didn't want to see my family members hurt and be in pain. Mm. So, Isn't that interesting <laughs> that... Uh, you, and I had a similar experience where you you almost had to put aside your own uh, your own feelings in some ways or your own uh, own hurt and form this protective almost you had to sort of almost step up because you were you were concerned about your family and friends and how they were impacted. Um, I had a really similar thing where I had to for my son particularly, I had to be brave and I had to, I really had to sh- show, you know, that I was going to be okay. And, um, for, for his sake, um, I do wonder yeah. whether or not, I mean, that's no doubt that's part of, part of the journey for, for everybody. Uh, but I, I wonder at a certain point, whether or not that armor you put up, um, gets in the way of your own, recovery and your own mental well-being have you got any thoughts on that yeah uh yeah my sister and I actually have talked about this recently uh in that sometimes we have a feeling or an emotion and we treat it like a beach ball and we try and shove it under the water as much as we can because if it's not visible it's not there but then with the more force that you push that down the more force it comes back and slaps you in the face so in order to deal with that emotion, you have to open up the valve and deflate it so that you can sink it beneath the water and it doesn't resurface. And and that's exactly what it was like. I think initially it was just like, I got to be brave. I got to be strong. I got to be all these things, shove that beach ball underneath. And then months later in my dorm room, I'm feeling the effects of that beach ball slapping me in the face and the negativity and the sadness. Um, I think it's been years of just like constantly opening up that valve and feeling that feeling and then correcting it and having the thought process and the mindset to be happy and to figure out whatever obstacle it is that you're dealing with, whether it's something you're telling yourself or negativity around you and learning how to elevate your own thoughts and your own individual regardless of what's going on around you I, I, I don't know if that was vague or not but 
No, that sounds great. But I just feel like it's a constant thing. I would like to get into the specifics of how you how you personally open that valve and release that pressure. What what are some techniques you use, or how do you like if you're if you're starting to feel really anxious or tense or angry or fearful, and you you've got this feeling you just want to push that aside and ignore it. What what's your process for dealing with that and actually like deflating the the beach ball, deflating the balloon or the yeah the beach ball. Um, so recently, I have learned a lot of techniques from my sister. Um, I I tend to I tend to talk to people and have conversations and um, get insights from other people to help me kind of sort through what I'm thinking. Um, but I think one of the biggest like personal tools that it's helped me is having a journal. Not that I'm great at keeping like every day, like writing down like all my like victories from the day. But initially it was like writing down positivity from like what I was grateful for and recognizing small blessings and tender mercies. And that helped me in the, in the first bit um, to get through and then recording like, victories. Um, I made it through the semester. I got an A in the class. I am able to drive a car. I am, I graduated from college. I had, so that when I had those negativity, like those thoughts of, oh, you're like not smart or you're, um, you're not like physically active or you're not whatever these negativities that kind of seep into your brain or get to you. I had something to fall back on. I'm like, yeah, but I, I'm able to ride a horse now. I am um, able to crawl across the room. Like I have the the control to crawl across the room. I'm able to do pull-ups. Like I just had very specifics to right the wrong that I had written in my brain. Does that make sense? Like I, lots of little goals. I don't know if that was, I feel like there's so many tools I use all the time. And then most recently I felt like I, needed to work on stopping the thoughts before I felt a feeling from it. Cause I, I think your feelings are created from the thoughts you tell yourself or the thoughts that you perceive from a situation. So within the last like year, I've been searching at a deeper level to, to not even have to feel that feeling. Or when I recognize I'm feeling a way that I am, I can go back to the thought and say, Oh, I'm upset because I can't, I don't even, I can't even think of something now. I'm upset because it's taking me longer to do the laundry or something because I have to take multiple Mm, trips mm. with my clothes, which after getting a lap stacker, I won't. But (laughs) I think about, you know, whatever, like, oh, someone else was standing. Like that's a negative thought to think about and start comparing. So the feeling that I have after that sometimes is a good reminder of like, wait a second. No, I'm able to do all my laundry. Like just shift your thinking. I can do this. I, I, I have a lot of worth. I don't know. I'm rambling a lot now, but I think lately I've realized there's so much power with your thoughts. And if you can control your thoughts and continually work on that positive thought process, then you don't even have to have a beach ball that you're trying to submerge. Like you're catching it before the beach ball inflates. I think that's, that makes sense. It makes total sense. I think it's a really good point. 
I think it starts with awareness. If you if you're aware that if you're aware of how you're feeling, so oh, I'm feeling really anxious, and then you you kind of explore why am I feeling anxious? What's 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 behind that right. feeling? What what are the thoughts that I'm having that are creating that that emotion? That's a good. That's a really good start to to be curious as to why, because some people, I mean all of us right can can just get caught away in the emotion and we can just go down this you know you can you can feel it building and building and building but and it just takes over and you're you're hijacked it's the amygdala hijack right and you're all of a sudden you're just ah, you just you do, and you, you don't know but if you can if you can have that investigation as to why am i feeling this way and then um so so i think you made a good point about trying to intersect that before it gets out of control and trying to trying to understand what that thought where that thoughts come from um and having I, I think also having compassion for yourself like I've learned that I've been really hard on myself and I think if you're capable to be like hey you had a rough day and that's fine be upset for a minute but then change your thoughts I think that's that's a way to to eliminate that beach ball as well as just having that compassion uh, I think it's a good. That's a really good point. One thing that helped me was was journaling. Actually, writing a blog. It's called Mike's Big Break. You can have a look. It's on Tumblr, and and I wrote that from about two weeks into my injury. And I would write, I'd write everything. You know, write everything about how I was feeling. Some of the, uh, you know, the the fun things that were happening around me. Um, some of the wins. Um, some of my deepest feelings were written and recorded on on that medium. And it was a great way to it was a great way to to deflate the ball, and um, yeah, it really really helped. So I can I can certainly relate to journaling as as a as a good method to um, even if nobody sees it. In fact, the, the, just the process of writing that down gives you the ability to just step back and and look at it more objectively. Um, sometimes when you write something you're down, like wow. Uh, I'm free of this now. I've written this down. Actually, huh? I don't, it's it's not a bother anymore. Uh, it's a it's a great method. Um, I mean, you don't necessarily need to write it. You could even just record it in a in a recorder. You could just do a quick video to yourself. You know, there's there's so many different ways you could do it. I think it's I think it's a it's a great method. Uh, Cambry. Uh, you're in your dorm room. You're you're at college. What were some of the challenges there? What was what was that what was that like? You, you mentioned that you once you left, you know, I guess the security of uh, rehabilitation, and you're out into real life. Um, <laughs> we all know that's tough. We all know that's really really yeah. tough. Um, what were some of the hardest things you found with that transition, and and how did you how did you get through that time? Um, I remember a handful of very specific moments, one of which I, I had the university that I went to after I was released from the hospital was on a hill. So all of the buildings were like different heights and they were all kind of connected through different paths, but you had to like go through one building to get to the next building to get to the one building. If you're needing to take a path like I was in a wheelchair. And I remember, I think it was the first semester, maybe only a couple of weeks in, the elevator stopped working in one of the lower buildings. And I was up in the building. Um, 
and I, I can't remember. There was something else like locked. And I was stuck in that building and I um, was stuck outside of a classroom that was instructing ballet. It was in the like the rec center, whatever part of the school. And all of these girls were doing ballet and were gracefully dancing and doing like releves and arabesques and just looking beautiful. And I remember sitting there and just with every second that I was waiting for someone to, I had called someone to help me, but with every second, just sitting there and watching and comparing and feeling this like total loss of your, you know, you're not you anymore. Like you are less than what you used to be. You are, and all these negative feelings as I was comparing myself to these ballerinas and what I had lost and the sense of never being able to do that again. And it was, it was hard. Cause I, you know, those, those feelings then went into, you're never going to find anybody that sees you as a beautiful individual. You're never going to um, be attractive in someone's eyes. You're never going to have that family. Like that, those fears from the initial break kind of just, it trickled back down to those fears, those root fears again. And other times of, oh, I don't, I don't want to be a burden on my friends because they're going to go play volleyball. And I don't know how to play volleyball, like sand volleyball. My chair is going to get stuck in the sand. There's like, I can't do that. And then also feeling like, I don't want to be a burden and not let them go hike this trail up the mountain. And I, I just continually like that first year was rough. And it kind of even feels like a meat market when you're a freshman anyway. Like everybody's excited. Oh, did you see that person? Or is that person? And I just felt like everybody was playing this game up here of life. And I was down here and just observing. And it it took probably a year and some really good friends. And I was still working on um, getting whatever muscle I could and was learning how to crawl and um, I was trying to get braces for my legs so I could stand up and be at eye level and I was so focused on walking again because I felt like that was the only thing that was going to bring me up to the party with all of the other freshmen and if, if I could be at their eye level and walk again like that was so crucial and it took probably two or three years of making that my goal to like get up here with them physically before I realized there's so much more, so much more to life. And this wheelchair really is a blessing because I can get to so many places. If I didn't have this wheelchair, like my world would be a lot smaller, crawling places or like scooting places or mm. whatever. whatever. And I, I realized I didn't have to walk to be happy. There's so much more to life. And the superficial party from freshman year is not important. It's it's the people that you're around. It's the relationships you build. It's the people that you're able to lift and uh, serve around you. It's about making a positive impact in other people's lives. And that's when I realized a wheelchair has that power. If you like, it has the power to let you be an example of being a bright happy individual despite some very physical difficult things and and that's when I started to have more faith in myself 
And I decided to become an occupational therapist because I knew there was power in helping people that were newly injured or other people with physical impairments or children um, whose parents didn't know if they would find happiness and success with their impairments or their cognitive um, delays or whatever. I just, I realized there was a lot of, a lot of power in helping others when you've gone through something difficult yourself. And that to me, it was more important than looking pretty like all the freshmen. So I ramble so much and my thought process just like goes all over the place. No, And I just, no, that's, that's beautiful. Honestly, I was, um, had shivers, uh, going down my spine when you, when you were saying that it's what a, what an incredible transition to go from, like you say, some of those superficial things to one of realizing that you have a, a unique opportunity to make a huge impact in the world. And then once, once you decide on that course, man, things start to happen, don't they? Isn't it, isn't it incredible yeah. how, how the world just opens up and before you know it, you're, you're leading an absolutely incredible life. Um, and it, it, the world needs people like you to, it needs more people like you um, to, to, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So, you know, and you weren't rambling. I, I was, um, I was listening to me. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Um, you, you see that you said it very well. Um, so, you know, so occupational therapy is, I mean, they're some of the most important people when you're rehabilitating, they, they really are. And to have somebody with your um, experience as a wheelchair user, some of the, with a spinal cord injury just really would make um, a huge difference. I imagine if, if uh, my occupational therapist was a wheelchair user, that would have made a huge difference. Um, you know, just, just in terms of the knowledge they could share. So yeah, well done. It's great. <laughs> um, so what about getting back on the horse? I'm curious to know, how was that? <laughs> oh goodness. I got back on the horse maybe a week after I got home from the hospital initially. A week? And I still had like my brace. Yeah, I had my brace on me and uh someone like threw me up on the horse and it wasn't my horse. I had I had a couple horses at the time, but they were like project horses. Mm-hmm. They were really wild and surly and I knew I wasn't gonna be able to get back on them safely. So I went on a friend's horse and I had two people on either side of me, like making sure that I wasn't gonna fall off. And I had someone like leading the horse. And I remember sitting there and just being like, this isn't the same. I was doing handstands and aerials off of horses the beginning of the summer. And now the end of the summer, I have to be with three people around me to keep me safe. Like, this is not the same thing. So after I had that, I like, I got off and I, I was polite and said, thanks, you know, for this experience. It was so nice. And thank you. Thank you. And then after that, I went home and I was like, I'm never getting on a horse again. Like I, that was too painful. I don't want to relive what I don't have anymore. And I'm, I'm not getting on a horse again. So I didn't. And it wasn't until a year later that one of my old teammates said, Hey, I have a horse for you. If you want to teach lessons to other people. Cause by that time I had sold my horses. I was out of the horse world. And I, I don't know why I said yes, but I said, yeah, okay, bring, bring your horse out. 
And I, I kind of thought it was going to be, she's in the jumper world. So I thought it was like going to be this beautiful, big, fancy, warm blood that was going to come out of the trailer. And she brings out like this pony that is this little golden pony with a white mane and tail. And I'm like, okay, she's darling. Like, yeah, my students will love her. Um, but I didn't think like anything. I was like, cool, thanks again. Like I'm not getting on this horse and it'll be great for students. It'll be a way for me to be involved. So I started teaching. And eight years later, one of my dressage riders, so I had, like, the horses have to stay physically fit. The students can't keep them physically fit. They're learning. And one of my riders didn't show up for my pony. And so the instructor said, well, I'm doing a group, like, instruction with riders to have all these horses to be physically fit. Um, why don't you just hop on your horse? Like, you, you know her. Why don't you just hop on? And I, the, all the thoughts going in my brain were like, it's going to be like the first time where I'm just going to be humiliated and I'm going to fall off and I'm going to be reminded of what I can't do. It's going to be so embarrassing or like the saddle's not meant for me. So I'm going to have a pressure sore. Like I had all these negative thoughts and somehow for some reason I just said yes. And they, so he helped like get me up on my horse and I rode without any adaptive equipment and I was, I did walk and then I did trot and then I did figure eight. And like, I don't think I physically helped her gain any muscle, but in that moment it was like, Hey, you know, your new body and you can do this. So let's figure this out. And I was a little sad that I waited eight years for it, but it was a, a transitional moment for me of realizing my life, that, those pieces that I had, like kick to the curb and just swept away could actually come back into my framework and it could actually be a part of my identity. And so I, I worked at it really hard. I, I, I fell a lot of times after that, but took lessons and ish, yeah, that the little pony that came out of the trailer that I didn't think much of a year after my accident has been a huge part of my recovery, a huge blessing. She's She's like my child. I just love her so much. And uh, so she she was like my gateway to competition because she, she wasn't like a big fancy horse, but she had her place. Um, I learned how to get confident and balance. And I, I learned what like adaptive gear that I would need. And I bought a second horse to compete with. And he was so hard. Um, nothing like my little pony. It took weeks for me to sit upright at a walk. And then it took months for me to learn how to sit at his trot. And I learned all about paradressage and the movements that were required and went to competitions and did like lived my, my childhood dream in a different avenue again. And it, it was so fun. It was, it was wonderful. And I enjoyed every moment of it. We, um, my horse Donowind and I were selected to represent the United States in the North American um, championships. And, and that whole experience is a story in itself. Like it was, it was crazy because we were there with other para um, equestrian, other para dressage riders. There was just a, a couple that were selected from each country. And then we were there with all the other disciplines of other equestrians for the jumping and, um, eventing and, and dressage, not paradressage, but the other dressage. 
So it was neat to be a part of something really big again. And we had lots of roadblocks getting there, but we were able to overcome them. And I feel like a lot of that was because I knew that's what, what success was, is like, there's going to be some roadblocks, but you, you just keep fighting and you keep working and you can get to where you want to be. And ultimately we ended up with two golds and a silver and it, it was a wonderful experience. And I don't know. I loved it. I'm not writing right now because I'm shifting into another phase of life. I got married and we're working on other adventures with the rig, the off-road bike thing that we're working that we've made. So I'm sure I'll be riding again, but life just kind of takes you to different places for a bit. Sounds like you ticked off a childhood dream and um, when you perhaps thought you never could. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm I'm so stoked for you. That's so cool. It's so really good. Thanks. Tell us about um, tell us about uh, dating and and obviously leading up to your uh, to your marriage. Um, what was what were the first oh. few dates you went on like? What was what was what was dating like as a as a you know as a as a as a paraplegic? I remember. Well, when I first got hurt, I had a boyfriend, and he was darling and so sweet, and would come every day to the hospital. Yeah wonderful human being. Um, and then we both got accepted into universities on the other side of the country. So we ended our relationship and I remember sitting in my dorm room telling my, my roommate, Hey, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to date someone if they didn't know me before my injury. So I'm going to just need to like connect with guys that knew me before. So they knew that, that like the kind of person I was, Mm. And she was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. You know, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And um, so I really limited my, I was like, nobody's going to want to date me. So I'm just going to like have some fun with some of my friends that knew me before my accident and we'll just all be friends. And then the end of my, or maybe not the end, but my freshman year, uh, I remember a, a boy asking me on a date and it was a group date. And I was like, why is he, is this like a pity thing? Like, why is he asking me on a date? And I came to know after a couple more dates that his dad had been in a quad uh, accident. His four wheeler had rolled and he had broken his neck. And um, he showed me that people could see beyond the injury. And I was super grateful to, we dated for a while longer, but ultimately didn't work. And it was a wonderful like stepping stone to dating and realizing like the depth to a relationship is not superficial. It it can be, but not the ones you want. And so I started dating. I just had more confidence after that first couple of dates with him. And I had some really awkward dates, some terrible dates, some weird people. Like, I don't know. I'm sure every one has had a spectrum of dates, right? They've got some creepy dates and some great dates and anyway, all the things, heartbreak in the middle of all of that. It was like a a broken road of crazy dating and a a lot of feeling like one of my biggest fears dating was that I was going to be a burden. I always thought like, I I don't want to be weighing the other person down. And so that was something I had to work on 
through dating is realizing I could bring a lot to the table and my qualities were beyond my physical appearance, like beyond my physical capabilities. And I, I, so I went through a slew of, of dating and I think before I met my husband, I kind of got to the point where I was like, I'm done with dating. I'm how old was I? I think I was 30. And I said, I've been dating for like a decade. I think I'm done. I, I can find happiness on my own. I, I like my job. I like my horses. I think I'm done. And my friends were like, well, there's this dating app. You should, you should just go on a bunch of dates. Like you got to kiss a lot of frogs to get the print. Okay. So <laughs> I'll do it for you guys. And so I went on, felt like a marathon of dates. I went on a ton of dates and then I went on a date with Zach. And one of the first things he said to me as we were sitting, well, yeah, one of the first things he said in person, cause we met on the app and talked a bit on the app. And then he was sitting across from me and I remember him like he leaned over to look at my wheelchair and I was like, Oh great. He's going to ask something inappropriate. And he said like, what, what modifications could we do to that? Like, what could we up, like, how could we upscale that? And I thought that was, to me, it was, it was everything. I was like, this is awesome. He is looking at it as a way of like, cool, how can we soup this up? This is neat. How can we make this, more fun? How can, how do we create something out of this? And that is, I, I think really drew me to him. I was like, he is a person that wants to create and he wants to make things better for people. And he sees the opportunity and facilitation. And we ended up talking on the front porch of this creperie for five hours. And we went on dates pretty much every day after that like it was we never stopped seeing each other after that so we got yeah and then we got married last august and yeah it's been great it's awesome yeah <laughs> just took a decade of dating yeah <laughs> self-discovery you don't have to date again <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah but, oh it's beautiful that's so cool um and i guess one of the first times i uh i saw you online was uh, around a an adaptive bike that that you and Zach had built together. It's two wheel, uh, you know, two yeah. front wheels, and you know, so Zach's a um, he's a YouTuber. He's you know famous YouTuber, and he's got Jerry Rig Everything as his channel. And he he's obviously incredibly talented in terms of mechanical engineering and design and and product development. Right? Is that that's his background? So. Um, what a guy to what a guy to connect with if you've got some limitation with your you know equipment. He's he's the, he's the man. Um, yeah, he is the man. So tell us a bit about um, about that first bike and how did that transition into the rig? Sure. So he, I mean, we had only been dating about a month, and he realized that he wanted to go because Utah has beautiful mountains and great trails. He's like, I want to take Cambria on a trail and I don't want her to feel like it's difficult. So he had a couple of e-bikes in his garage and had a buddy that knew how to weld. So he learned how to weld, secretly measured my wheelchair measurements and put together two e-bikes with a chair in the center. 
and then surprised me. And I had no idea it was coming. I was totally shocked. And we took that out and went on a couple of adventures and got a ton of emails and response saying, Jerry, build me one. I want one of these. Can you send me one? And he did another video to show how others could make it if they had two e-bikes and how to weld it. And we just got so, so much of a response from people saying, Oh, we want you to build it. Like we just want these on the market, do it. So we spent the last year and a half, um, going through a couple of different prototypes and we actually, which I think is a huge blessing and, and a really cool coincidence. The largest trike manufacturer is only 30 minutes down the road. So we were able to connect with them and get some other great minds because our whole our whole thing was we wanted to create something that could get people out in adventure and more social and had the parts that you could easily replace. Like you didn't have to go to the manufacturer to get it all figured out again and ship it back in and then not have it for a time or two. And it's just, you know, there's so many cool bikes out there. Why aren't there cool options for individuals and wheelchairs that are easy to replace and work on and just make it, you know, part of life. So that's what we did. We took all e-bike components, put it all together um, with the, the trike company down south. And we know it's not for everyone. And it's not like a medical device by any means. It's it's just something to get you outside if your lower extremities don't work. And it's it's been really rewarding um, for myself. Like, I love it. I feel spoiled that I've been able to be in it for a year and a half and take it. We took it on our honeymoon. We've We've taken it on family vacations and it's allowed me to get out in nature. I, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and all, all the trees and the greenery and the horses. So it's giving me more of my life back um, in that way. And we've had a couple individuals try it out that are nearby that um, weren't sure if it was for them or not. And it's been really neat to watch them have that same experience. Like we had a, an older gentleman that, hadn't been able to go out with his family because of health issues. And he's excited now. He's like, I'm going to be out with my grandkids and I'm able to, you know, do things with my sons again. And it, it's just really special to see that. So we we're just excited that people want to get out and be social with their family members again and are interested in it. And like, it's definitely, it's not, it's not our full-time job, but it's, been all consuming for the last two years to come up with something that hopefully can help a lot of people in the world. So, yep, that's what we're doing. The rig. That's awesome. Well done. Such a, uh, such an important thing to be able to feel free and to be able to join your family and friends and community. And, um, this is just one more way that people can, can do that. Um, you're going to change lives with it. It's awesome. We, we talked a little bit earlier um, before we went live about the fears you have around creating something like this. Will people like it? And, and also the, the sort of naysayers, the, the critics, if you like. Um, yeah. you know, we've, we've definitely had, had our fair share of critics uh, with the Lapstacker and product development is incredibly difficult. I, I don't think, I certainly wasn't aware of it before I began the product development road. It, it is... Um, you know, it takes a lot of resource, a lot of energy. Um, and then at the end of the day, you, you are you're taking a risk that it'll, it'll succeed commercially or people will actually want to use it. Um, 
I guess you, you had some of those same same things, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you know. I wish that we could create something that was universal for everyone. So I think there's always, um, I think there's yeah, always someone that's not going to like it or um, going to find a flaw with it of some sort. But that's just the creativity process. Like if we're not putting together something and allowing other people to see it and maybe evolve it into something better. Like how does anything ever get created? So I have to remind myself of that all the time. Like I'm a perfectionist. So it's, it's hard for me if I have a, someone that says, Oh, this isn't good. Or this is, I don't know, has these flaws, but I think ultimately the good outweighs the negativity when you're creating. And if you're able to help even a couple of people, then it's worth it. Yeah, totally. It not, it's not going to be suitable for everybody. Um, so, yeah, you focus on the people that it that will help and those that do appreciate it. It's the only way, I think. Yeah. I'm so excited about your lap stacker. I'm definitely getting one for sure. Oh, it's been a that is the game changer. Thank you. Yeah, it has. It's, it certainly has been a game changer. <laughs> it's been a huge journey through COVID and manufacturing disruptions. And, I mean, it's been an incredible journey. And, for those of our, our Kickstarter backers and our pre-order customers that are listening, thanks for sticking by us. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, yeah, but so it's going to ship next week uh, for our customers. And uh, so next week being beginning of August, uh, which is which is really, really exciting. So, uh, Cambry, tell us a bit about what's in store for you in the future and where can people um, connect with you more? Um, okay, so... We are working on getting the rig out in September. So if you're interested in the rig, you can go to notawheelchair.com. And uh, you can find us on Instagram. And that's generally where you can find me is on Instagram with random cameos on Zach's channel for YouTube. <laughs> Fantastic. So, I'll, uh, of course, I'll, I'll make a link in, uh, in the podcast profile uh, for all those, those links there. Look, it's been wonderful, absolutely wonderful speaking with you. And um, and I'd really love to come and try out um, the rig at some point and go on a wee adventure with you guys. If I yes. ever, if the world ever opens up again and I'm able to travel uh, to your to your neighborhood, I'll, I'll definitely look you up. That would be wonderful. That would be so fun. Uh, thanks so much for, like for sharing it. so openly um, your experiences. Uh, I know it's, it's not easy to do and... Um, uh, you know, I really appreciate it. And I think uh, all our listeners out there will also appreciate your uh, your insights. Um, and uh, yeah, so thanks so much, Cambry. It's, um, it's been a wonderful pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com that's a-d-a-p-t-d-e-f-y.com we're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify follow us there for more behind the scenes looks and more up to date information on product releases hope you enjoyed this podcast look forward to catching you next time